The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. As we gather upon this Reformation Sunday for ordered worship, we remember Martin Luther. We shall not fear, for God has willed God's truth to triumph through us. Martin Luther, crux sola, nostra theologia, the cross alone is our theology. Martin Luther, sola fide, sola gratia, sola scriptura, faith, grace, scripture. The liturgy, music, and homily this Lord's Day are offered here in the praise of God for our gathered congregation within Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership, service, and ministry in our midst. And as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us here in worship. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. Almighty and everlasting God, increase in us the gifts of faith, hope, and charity, and that we may obtain what you promise. Make us love what you command. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. For today, a frost verse. My sorrow, when she's here with me, thinks these dark days of autumn rain are beautiful as days can be. She loves the bare, the withered tree. She walks the sodden pasture lane. Not yesterday I learned to know the love of bare November days before the coming of the snow. Yet it were vain to tell her so. And they are better for her praise. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. But for thy grace we would not be, but for thy grace we could not love, but for thy grace we should not speak, but by thy grace we live and love and speak. Bless us, dear Lord, we pray. Hear good news. If we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A lesson from the prophet Joel, chapter 2, verses 23 through 32. O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God, 
for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the later rain, as before. The threshing floor shall be full of grain, the vat shall overflow with wine and oil. I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent against you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You should know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I, the Lord, am your God and there is no other. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Then afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female slave, in those days, I will pour out my spirit. I will show portents in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 65 with the antiphon. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion. And to you shall God be performed. To you who hear prayer, all flesh shall come because of their sins. When our transgressions prevail over us, you forgive them. Blessed are those whom you chose to bring near, to dwell in your courts. By dread deeds, you answer us with deliverance, O God of our salvation. Who by your strength established the mountains, being girded with might. So that those who dwell at earth's farthest bounds are afraid at your signs. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide its grain for so You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. The pastures of the wilderness drip, the hills grid themselves with joy. The valleys deck themselves with grain. Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Glory to you, O Lord. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all my income, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. be seated. What drove Luke alone to remember or construct these marvelous parables, Luke chapters 9 through 19? Only Luke has them, and how we would miss them without his composition. What molded them? near the year 85 AD. The lengthening years without ultimate victory since the cross, the long decades of living without Jesus, the uncertainties of institution and culture and citizenship and multiple responsibilities, 
the daily stresses of managing a budget. It is the primitive church that can give an example to an America waiting to meet dis-ease with patient justice, to meet anxiety with hope. They waited for Jesus to return, and he delayed, and he delays still. And there is rampant hurt across God's green earth though with a scornful wonder we see her sorrow pressed, by schism rent asunder, by heresy distressed. Yet saints, their watch are keeping, their cry goes up, how long? But soon the night of weeping will be the morn of song. Luke's parables confront dis-ease with health and anxiety with humility. At Marsh Chapel, we try to do some of the same. On a day, this Lord's Day, in which we receive new chapel members, a word then about Marsh. What is participation in ministry about here? As a university chapel and deanship, Marsh Chapel has some significant structural differences from a local church, some of which are outlined in the document forms of ministry in our midst. While there are many ways of entering ministry at Marsh, the chapel operates administratively as any other deanship on campus reporting to the president and funded in large measure by the provost. Marsh Chapel is a discreet Christian community of faith, and if I may, in my pastoral experience, including nine other pulpits, a real gem. Theologically and spiritually, we are broad church. Liturgically and musically, we are high church. Communally and relationally, we are deep church in the sense of encouraging vital fellowship and community and friendship. The simplest way to describe all this is to walk through the sanctuary and notice the stained glass of the church through the ages and of the church in the Methodist tradition. We are not a Methodist congregation, but our history and lineage from 1839 to the present are out of that religious, Christian, Protestant, English tradition which emerged under the leadership of John Wesley through the course of the 18th century. Mr. Wesley stands above our portico at the front door. Our hymnal is the Methodist hymnal, though we are not confined to it and generally operate out of a dual adherence both to Methodism and to the ecumenical consensus. A simple way to see this is to note that we have distinctively both wine and grape juice available at communion. Our dean is usually a Methodist minister, five out of six, and oddly four out of six have been named Robert. We are thus possibilists in the Wesleyan sense of an openness to the future in faith 
and an interdenominational, international, even interfaith congregation, both present on Sundays and especially listening via radio we have, for example, a number of Jewish participants. Jesus is our beacon, not our boundary. You will see that the sanctuary has within it no permanent cross, but does have a Star of David, both fairly substantive ecumenical moves at its building in 1949. When people join Marsh Chapel, as will happen again today, we use a version of the ritual for new members in the hymnal. When children are baptized, as will happen again on November 3rd at 1 p.m., we use the order for the sacrament in the same hymnal. Our members come from a very wide range of religious backgrounds and in many cases of no particular religious background. We do not use a single creed, though we are inclined now and then to recite one or another in the course of a sermon now and then. We simply ask people in brief whether they want Marsh Chapel to be and to be known as their spiritual home. There are, of course, some downsides to such breadth, but this has been our heritage since Daniel Marsh finished the chapel and the trustees named it for him long ago. Marsh's book, The Charm of the Chapel, we have here and one of our staff could get you a copy should you want one. Regarding doctrine, we will need to give a few points of reference. As with coming to know Martin Luther, the first step would be to read through the sermons of the chapel, now found easily on our website from 2003 on. As with coming to know John Calvin, the second step would be to read through the books. Here are the decanal books. Mine are found in the narthex. Those of my predecessors are also readily available. The two most voluminous collections being those of Dean Neville, 2003 through 2006. He present almost every week in chapel, including today, and my only living predecessor. And of Dean Howard Thurman, 1953 to 1965. We recommend for your reading from Dean Neville, the book, The Symbols of Jesus, and from Dean Thurman, the book, Jesus and the Disinherited. Dean Robert Hamill, 1965 to 1973, he died just weeks after his Christmas sermon of 1972, wrote two short books of sermons, but is best captured in his column for Motive magazine throughout the 1960s. Dean Franklin Littell, 1952 to three, brought the academic study of the Holocaust to America and his book, The Crucifixion of the Jews, is stellar and still in print. Dean Robert Thornburg, 1978 through 2001, published little, though his denominational leadership was significant. As with coming to know John Wesley, the third step would be to look at what the chapel actually does week by week 
found in the term book, on the website, and in the bulletin Sunday by Sunday, including the weekly Dean's Choice. You will find in broad terms, in the sermons and the books and the works, that we are a theologically liberal church with a spiritually liberal pulpit, again broadly construed and in congruence with the history of Boston University and indeed of Boston itself. In sum, with Mr. Wesley, we would affirm that which has been believed always and everywhere by everyone, the ecumenical consensus where there is such, and we would affirm if thine heart be as mine, give me thine hand. And we would affirm in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. But you may ask, what if I am more spiritual than religious? What is the healthy, humble balance of these two terms? Well, the, the distinction, spiritual versus religious, would not have been intelligible to St. Luke, whose gospel we have been reading these past several months. Whether or not the distinction, spiritual-religious, is one you understand or affirm, it is in its framing at least a modern lens, and to put it upon the New Testament would be fair in no direction. Luke is a teacher, like Matthew, whose own gospel is a didactic one, now Matthew is organized around five narratives and lectures, including a long lecture from a mountain, affirming the jot and tittle of the law, honoring disciples and discipline. He sees the world and its human inhabitants to the moment of its audibility for you and me as a schoolroom filled with students. He is a teacher and he wants us to learn as in his different way does Luke. In principle then, as all learners, both larger and smaller and older and younger, we are in conversation with our evangelist. Preaching is interpretation, interpretation of holy scripture, holy out of use, holy out of history, holy out of function, holy out of love, holy out of inspiration, whose opening to the ear is meant to teach as well as to delight and finally to persuade. Learn something from every sermon. Teach something in every sermon. Teach and learn to persuade in every sermon. What would Luke want and how to help us to learn about this current modern popular distinction I am spiritual but not religious? Well, it happens that at the heart of the New Testament, there is, one could say, a parallel problem, a similar distinction at work being worked, being worked out. That is the problem of Christianity emerging from Judaism. For the readers of Paul, for the students of Luke, for the listeners to Marsh Chapel in the past decade, for these and others, this is not a new story. One of the two great and deep mysteries of the 27 New Testament books is this one. How did a religious and spiritual movement begun in Palestine, led by a Jew and other Jews, 
born out of the history and theology and society of Judaism and relying on the whole of Hebrew scripture, become in less than 100 years entirely Greek. The New Testament witnesses, it should be strongly asserted, had as a group no disinclination to follow spiritual truth over against the dictates of religious tradition. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The tearing of Christianity away from Judaism was in part a spiritual revolt against a religious authority. The Lordship of Jesus, the way of faith, the announcement of the resurrection, the advances in the highways and byways, the preaching of the gospel, especially to the Gentiles, the uncircumcised, left religion of one form in the dust. One is commanded in scripture, in fact, to shake the dust from one's feet. On the other hand, and perhaps more powerfully, the New Testament writers have every disinclination to celebrate an individualized spiritual perspective, Sheilaism, bowling alone, or the new atheism, which often dresses in the simpler garb of introversion and social, conversational, and relational isolation. 27 books of the New Testament, if nothing else, revolve around a steady development of a new community, a beloved community, a community of faith working through love, and are themselves children of and witness to the emergence of that set of communities, even the church, as we experienced last night in dinner and music. Even the Gospel of John, the most spiritual and least institutional of the documents, nonetheless from its radical angle, forcefully acclaims the experience of love and faith, the love of one another. The dismantling of one religious structure requires the responsibility to replace it with an improved model. Methodists take note. In this sense, the New Testament would be the polar opposite and spiritual contestant of spirituality today. And then now, how kind, sir, you might ask, in your own life and work, does this pain to health and humility matter? Well, remember from a month ago, our ride up the Matterhorn, Zermatt, Gornergrab. The ride is short but terrifying. At the top, even mid-July, thick snow, hard ice, brisk wind, and a coldness of cold awaits you, as does the mesmerizing thrall of the mountain, the Matterhorn. Step gingerly out of the old open rail car. Get your footing, your mountain sea legs. Raise your gaze, raise your gaze. Raise your gaze there. A new way of seeing and so of thinking and so then of being. Health and sanity may impel or compel you or me 
to higher ground. My 16th book will be published this fall. This is a collection of books devoted in part to the New Testament, in part to preaching, and in part to ministry, Bible, church, and world as we in the halcyon younger days of the World Council of Churches once intoned. None of the 16 is a bestseller, none a game changer, none found in every home, at least not yet. All but two are still in print and several in both print and cyber forms. They are the work of Zermatt, fine. The view from Zermatt is fine. You can share it in physical comfort and communal fellowship, the Matterhorn, just before you, but, but, but. Take the rail car higher still to Gorner Grat. As an acrophobe, the rail car ride is not that appealing, but it is time to move on, at least for me, to higher ground, to climb on and up to Gorner Grat. Ice, snow, cold, wind. That means the prospect of a very different book for a very different look. A different look takes a different book. It will be here for me the work of the next decade in pulpit and study. As you cannot get to Gorner Grat, but through Zermatt, this project depends in full on all that came before, the books on the New Testament, John, on preaching, interpretation, on ministry, prayer, and practice. But the next climb is up onto a craggy cliff village, ice, snow, cold wind, an overture to a liberal biblical theology, an overture to a liberal biblical theology, here is a marriage of Rudolf Bultmann and N.T. Wright, a partnership of Paul Tillich and the early Karl Barth, an aspirational possibilist, that is Methodist, correlation of history and theology, Bible and church, accessible to the average reader. May it be and may it be done with health and humility. For the tax collector standing far off would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Amen. We now come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, 
or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, lead me, Lord. bring the needs of the church, the world, and all in need to God's loving care. Please respond to the words, Lord, in your mercy, by saying, hear our prayer. God of heaven and earth, through Jesus Christ, you promise to hear us when we pray to you in his name. Confident in your love and mercy, we offer our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Empower the church throughout the world in its life and witness. Break down the barriers that divide us so that united in your truth and love, the church may confess your name, sit together at one table, and serve you in one common ministry of love. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Hear the cries of the world's hungry and suffering. Give us, who consume most of the earth's resources, the will to reorder our lives, that all may have their rightful share of food, medical care, and shelter, and so have the necessities of a life of dignity. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Restore among us a love of the earth you created for our home. Help us put an end to ravishing its land, air, and waters, and give us respect for all of your creatures, that living in harmony with everything you have made, your whole creation may resound in an anthem of praise to your glorious name. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Renew our nation in the ways of justice and peace. Erase prejudices that oppress. Free us from crime and violence. Guard us from the perils of addiction and materialism. Give all citizens a new vision of a life of harmony. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Strengthen us in our work and our worship. Fill our hearts with your self-giving love that our voices may speak your praise and our lives may conform to the image of Christ. Nourish us with your word and sacraments, that we may be ministers and witnesses to your love and grace for all the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Look with compassion on all who suffer. Support with your love those with incurable and stigmatized diseases, those unjustly imprisoned, those denied dignity, 
those who live without hope, those who are homeless and abandoned. As you have moved toward us in love, so lead us to be present with them in their suffering. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. O oh God, in your loving purpose, answer our prayers and fulfill our hopes. In all things for which we pray, give us the will to seek to bring them about for the sake of Jesus Christ. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And now with boldness as children of God, we join together praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you once again here in the nave of Marsh Chapel and invite you to put, participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red book found along the center aisle of each pew, passing that book along to your neighbor so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. As we move forward this week toward the celebration of El Dia de los Muertos, of All Hallows' Eve, of the Feasts of All Souls and All Saints, we would here at Marsh Chapel join our voices with those of the Associate Provost and Dean of Students, Kenneth Elmore, and our Chief of Police and Director of Public Safety, Kelly Nee, in encouraging all to celebrate these activities both vigorously and safely, and not sacrifice the latter for the former. Enjoy your Halloween and be safe out there. Our global department this week is hosting a Create Space for a Cause on Tuesday, October 29th from 3 to 6 p.m. in the Thurman Room downstairs. 
Uh, it is entitled Knitted Knockers, and this is an opportunity for those who knit and crochet to produce alternative prostheses breasts for uh, breast cancer survivors. Uh, if you are not a knitter or a crocheter, you may contribute to the cause monetarily by seeing Chloe McLaughlin following the service uh, in the narthex. Again, that's Tuesday, October 29th from 3 to 6 p.m. in the Thurman Room. As Dean Hill noted during the sermon, those present, present today who are moved to formally join Marsh Chapel may join Dean Hill at the communion rail for the reception of new members at the conclusion of the service coming forward during the last verse of the final hymn. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we invite you to meditate on Ray Found Williams' setting of verses from Psalms 84 and 90, Oh, how amiable. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
creator of the universe, who grounds our being and fills existence with meaning, use our charitable gifts for your purposes for our community so that we can continue to be a heart for the heart of the city and a service in the service of the city. Through Christ, the one whose life exemplified heart and service. Amen. Timothy John Rodriguez. Timothy, we welcome you fully, personally, and publicly into the fellowship of Marsh Chapel. As you affirm your faith in Jesus Christ, renouncing sin and accepting freedom and promising service in his name, will you faithfully participate in the ministries of Marsh Chapel by your prayers, presence, gifts, and service? I will, with the help of God. I commend Timothy to your love and care. Will you do all in your power to increase his faith, confirm his hope, and perfect him in love? As members together with you, my Christ, and in this congregation of our child, we renew our covenant faithfully to participate in the ministries of the child by our prayers. May the sun show warm and bright on you, your darkest night a star shine through, your dullest morn a radiance brew, and when dusk comes, God's hand to you. The blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forever. <laughs> 